Hi, everyone. It's the Life of Gem live video podcast. And I'm here to read from my book, Tales of an Inland Empire Girl. If you give me one second, just stay tuned. I am going to show this to my Facebook wall. Okay, so here we are. It is 7 p.m. I'm going to start. This is the Life of Gem live video podcast. This is season two, episode two. If you want to see episode one, you can go to my Life of Gem Facebook page. It was with my wonder twin, Jacqueline Mance, who is reading from her book. And then um, you can also go to Twitter and watch it. So this is season two, episode two. And as a reminder, I'll be back also next week with Romaine Washington, the epic poet. And we're going to be talking about her craft. But tonight, this is a book launch episode. This book is called Tales of an Inland Empire Girl. It is a labor of love that I worked on for over a decade. And it tells the story of how I grew up in Ontario, California in the 1970s and 1980s. Me, my dad, John, my mother, Judy, my sister, Annie, and my wonder twin, Jackie. And... Even more importantly, if you want to know where the title comes from, take a guess. Judy Bloom's Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. The book is heavily inspired by a number of writers, including Judy Bloom, Essie Hinton, and Sandra Cisneros. So a shout out to all of them. So let's just start. So the first story I'm going to read, just to give it some context, is one of the, is the second story in the book. The first story in the book is the story of my dad's death. And then I flash back to childhood. And the majority of the book is told in YA voice. And it is really an attempt to reconcile and remember. So this second story in the book from Tales of an Inland Empire Girl, which is available on the Los Nietos website, that's L-O-S-N-I-E-T-O-S, or on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all national retailers. But if you want to support my small press, Frank Kearns is amazing. Thank you, Frank. I'm sure you're watching. Um, his press is Los Nietos Press. They have a number of amazing titles. So I want to give a shout out to him. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to my first book, Portrait of a Deputy Public Defender or How I Became a Punk Rock Lawyer. That's a chat book that was published by Bamboo Dart Press. Go to Bamboo Dart and see all their titles, including Romaine Washington's, who is on next week. So this first story, um, funnily enough, begins with a Joan Didion quote, who is one of my favorite writers. And the quote that I have from her is interesting. Memory fades. Memory adjusts. Memory conforms to what we think we remember. Joan Didion, rest in peace. So this story is called Flintstones Land, after the Flintstones. Mom and dad fight the whole way from California. They fight about which way to turn and which way to go. They fight about when to eat. And they fight about us kids causing a ruckus. Mom gets mad because dad likes to use the Thomas Guide, which is a big book full of maps. The only time mom and dad aren't bickering is when dad turns on the country station and they sing along to Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson with me and my sisters snapping our fingers to the beat. 
We are driving to the Flintstones land in South Dakota. Mom and dad are driving here also for my sister Roberta's wedding in Jefferson, South Dakota. We also came to see Mount Rushmore. That's the super high mountain of rocks with the president's faces carved in it. We also visit a cave where you can see crystals hanging from the ceiling. On the road, I stare out the window and Jackie and I play the alphabet game, watching signs for A to Z. We stop at a Motel 6 to sleep. We all share a room and eat McDonald's for dinner. I can't believe it when I see Flintstones land. I yelp in happiness. The Flintstones are one of our favorite cartoons on television. We are staying in dad's pickup truck in the RV park next door to the park, sleeping in the back of the shell on packing blankets. I am riding Dino the dinosaur. I am playing with my sisters in a rock house. I am full of joy. Flintstones land, you see, is full of magic. It is everything. It's so colorful and bright, just like the cartoon. Jackie and I climb into a rock car that has rock wheels. We pretend we're at the drive-in movie theater from the cartoon and that the car is about to tip over from the weight of a brontosaurus steak. Our little sister Annie begs to get in, but we ignore her. Dad yells, yabba dabba do!" He raises his fist in the air and smiles. My mom winces, shakes her head and smiles. She is trying to let go and have fun. You see, this is before dad wrecked his legs from moving furniture for far too long. This is before all the years of dad smoking and beer drinking take their toll. This is when mom is only working one job as a waitress and times are good. My parents are still what they call themselves as bill poor, but there is enough money for this vacation. You see, Flintstone land is even better than Disneyland to us kids as kids. The park shines in my mind, an image imprinted there to drown out all the bad days. I tell myself now, remember all the good times. There were many good times, remember? Remember, why do you always focus on the bad times? Remember the good, remember. But what I remember most are the rocks. There were lots of colored houses made of rocks. Everything was made of rocks, including the Flintstones cars and the tables. There were painted signs with images of all of the characters. It was the opposite of high tech. And when I tell people about it now, some people don't believe it existed. It will take me years and years to try and write about it. And even as an adult, I will sometimes not fully believe myself that it was real, that maybe it was a figment of my imagination until my twin sister Jackie visits it in 2019 with my mom right before it closes. She even brings me a t-shirt. But let's go back and to my memories before they glide away. Here is what I remember. There were statues of all of the characters with places you could put your head through to take a picture. 
I imagine that I put my head through Bam Bam and then Dino and ignored Betty and Pebbles as too girly. As a kid, I want to bam, 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 like bam, bam, rather than wear a dress and pearls. Dad peeks his head through Fred Flintstone. Mom peeks through Wilma. I point my fingers, two guns at, the, at my dad, yelling out my favorite rhyme. Bang, bang, you're dead. Brush your teeth and go to bed. Despite everything, all the arguments and fights back then, my parents are beautiful at that age. Mom's thick hair is in an updo like a beehive, and she's wearing shorts and a striped shirt. Her skinny legs are dark from tanning at the beach. Dad's in his 30s with his big belly hanging over his Wrangler jeans, topped by a blue country shirt and a bolo tie. His cowboy hat is in the pickup truck. Dad's smiling again and pulling out his false teeth to make us all laugh. I watch mom laugh as dad tickles her and slaps his knee, crossing his eyes as he ogles her. My I don't know what happened there. Mom and dad eat Wonder Bread, bologna sandwiches from a cooler. We slurp Shasta sodas out of cans to quench our thirst. The soda is so cold, it burns my eyes. I wipe the orange bubbles off my chin and grin. Writing this story, I think to myself, I want to make us all hold hands. Sentimental, I know but so needed. And that's one of the first stories in the book. That is called Flintstone Land after the Flintstones. Da -da -da. Thank you everyone for watching. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Grace. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Vincent. Macando. Tracy's my bestie. She's in the book. Grace is from Vona and Cindy's from Inlandia. And I also want to tell people that on the 29th of this month, I'm having my book party. Everyone's welcome. It is outside, masks are required. It's at the Garcia Center in San Bernardino from 1 to 3 p.m. on Saturday, January 19th. Thank you, Grace, I appreciate that. And Francis is here, my friend Francis, who um, was in my writing group for years. Thank you for watching. And then this Saturday, I will be at Barnes & Noble and I'll be signing live. You can get your book there and I can sign it. So this next story is going to be a little tricky. I have never read it live. It is called The Big O. And just so y'all know, my dad owned a bar in the 80s called The Big O. Okay? My dad's dream, and it's in the book, was always to either buy a donut shop or a bar. <laughs> I'm serious. And so those were his two big dreams, and he accomplished the buying of a bar. As my mom always said, and I have to say this, and I'm sure my mom is watching, a drinker owning a bar is a disaster waiting to happen. And the disaster did happen, but this story is about how it happened and before the disaster. And in many ways, and um, I have to give a shout out to Professor Richard Goodman from the University of New Orleans for giving me this character idea. My dad was Don Quixote. 
he was always chasing windmills, right? Always chasing his dreams, kind of like me, a drinker, kind of like me. And uh, my mom was the one who had to, you know, keep us realistic and keep it all together. So here we go. I have never read this story live, so you're going to get a treat. And thank you, Romaine, for watching. Rosalie, Romaine Washington, who wrote Purgatory Has an Address, will be on my podcast next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Please watch. If you've never seen her read, she is epic. Okay. So here we go. And this story is called The Big O. And The Big O, you'll find out where it was located. My parents bought a bar called The Big O. Dad calls it a tavern. The sign has a big fat O on it. The Big O is a mile away from our house in Ontario on Holt and Grove. Mom didn't want Dad to buy the bar, but Dad convinced her. Why that bar, my mom said. Isn't Holt Street where all the hookers hang out? My dad ignored the hooker comment. He was on a mission. It's a dream, Judy, Dad said. There's pool tables, a pinball machine, video game, video games, and it already has a beer and wine license. They're even going to pay us to manage the trailer park behind it. My mom huffed and puffed. No way, John. No way. This could be a moneymaker, Judy, my dad said, trying to cajole her. My mom was a yeller and a fighter. She did not handle fools lightly. My mom knew with certainty that any time you put the words trailer park and bar together, it was trouble. She also knew that my dad loved his beer, his Budweiser, which was the sorest point of contention in their debate over dad's quest to buy the big O. My mom looked daggers at my father. No, John, I mean it. No, John, you're going to end up drunk all day and land us in the poorhouse. I don't want to lose the house. And if you quit your job and buy that money pit, that's what will happen. My dad shrugged his shoulders and said, come on, Judy, please, let's do it. I promise not to drink too much. There's a jukebox. We can put a lot of country on the jukebox and make it a honky-tonk. Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings. My twin sister Jackie popped up from the couch with her head like a jack-in-the-box, interrupting their conversation. Dad, can you put Go-Go's on the jukebox? My mom glared her into silence. Jackie slipped back into the couch, and her and I giggled softly. I gave her a high five and said, we'll ask for Pat Benatar, too. Don't worry. Come on, Judy, Dad continued as he kissed my mom's cheek. He put his arms around her shoulders as if they were about to dance. I've dreamed about this for years. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Like I said, Dad had always dreamed of owning a bar or a donut shop. He had been talking about it since I could walk. Dad's two favorite things were beer and junk food. Oh, and country music. 
I don't know, my mom said, her voice trailing off. It has always been your dream, but you have no idea how to manage a business, John. I could hear a note of give in mom's voice. She was leaving the door open just a little. Why was she even considering this? I was a kid and could see it was a bad idea. Dad loved to drink and hang out with what mom called the lowlifes. We all knew deep down inside, though, that dad was going to make the bar happen, no matter the cost. You see, buying the bar was just like the time my dad bought a freezer full of steaks from some kid walking around the, the neighborhood. When my mom found out that not only had he bought the meat, but a freezer to house it in, she hit the roof. John, you're an idiot, she had told him. She continued on, you got taken. You're one of those suckers born every minute. That bill is for almost $1,000. We could have bought a car. Dad made a face like his stomach hurt when mom yelled at him. I'll make the payments for the meat, my dad said. We'll get the best steaks. There's a ton of porterhouses and filet mignons. My dad wasn't known for his pronunciations. Damn it, John, my mom told him. What are we going to do with all these steaks? There's enough for an army. Judy, we'll eat them. With the discount for buying the freezer, the steaks are the same price as chicken and hamburger. The girls will eat them too. They like good steaks just like their daddy. Jackie and I nodded in unison. We did love good steaks on summer days. Dad would fire up his charcoal grill and make us each a big fat steak. We didn't like to share. My mom had shook her head and said, Why'd you have to buy the freezer, John? We're not rich. You're a truck driver and I'm a goddamn waitress. The freezer was part of the deal, my dad told her. We'll eat like kings. Plus, the kid who came to the door said, Everyone on the block bought one. We can have a block barbecue. Block barbecue, mom had said, shaking her hand, head. No one else bought one. You're a fool. My brother said you were a dumb gringo, but I didn't believe him. Judy, I don't want to fight, my dad had said. Dad knew he couldn't win by arguing with mom. The better strategy was to make her feel bad. So dad looked at her with sad eyes. It's your decision, Judy. I just wanted good meat for the family. Are you going to pay it, my mom had said. Dad had pleaded, knowing he was almost there. I promise, Judy, and I'll make you some of that potato salad to go with the filet mignons. My mom had given in. Fine, John, you're making the payment. It had worked. Another harebrained idea of my dad's approved. Within three months, Mom was making the freezer payment. And eventually, you all know this is going to happen. Some men came and knocked on the door and showed mom and dad a piece of paper and the freezer was taken away. Mom said it was repossessed. They couldn't take the steaks because they were already in our stomachs. And just like with that freezer full of meat, Dad made the big O happen. 
And within mere months of first talking about it, my mom and dad were the owners of a bar on Holt Street, bordering a trailer park in the worst part of Ontario. The bar smelled like stale cigarettes and old tap beer. My parents couldn't afford a full liquor license, so all they served was wine and beer. My dad would get plastered every night he tended bar. Patrons would buy him drinks all night and he would stumble into the house at 2 a.m. and mom would scream at him, I told you this was gonna happen. Every Saturday, dad would take us to the bar with him to clean. I would clean the dark felt of the green pool table with a brush and steal cigarettes from his cigarette machine. What do you girls want to eat? Dad always asked. We have frozen pizzas, hamburgers, and fries. Dad didn't care that it was only nine in the morning. I would always choose cheese pizza. And Dad would let me put songs on the jukebox. He had Alabama, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and of course, Johnny Cash and Loretta Lynn, along with a ton of other country music and some go-go's. Even though my mom was Mexican, she loved country music. Her favorite was Freddie Fender. I loved watching mom dress up as a country girl in her Western jean suit to go dancing with dad or out to the bar. We met at a honky tonk, my mom would say. I always had a thing for white man cowboys. But my sisters and I never listened to country. Country was for truckers like my dad and hillbillies. We preferred Pat Benatar, the Go-Go's, and Olivia Newton-John. My dad taught us how to play pool at the bar. Dad would stomp out his can't cigarette, chalk his hands, and lean over the pool table, holding his pool stick in a confident way, making sure to take careful aim before taking his pool shot. We would play pinball for hours. We never wanted to leave the big O. We played our turns of pinball with focus. Dad loved to hit the machine with his hip. You're gonna tilt it, Dad, we would scream. Dad only tilted one time out of 10, but he came close a lot of the time. Jackie and I would fight over who got to clean the pool table, but no one wanted to mop the floor. Annie would whine, I'm not tall enough, Daddy. Dad would grumble, give your old man a break, girls. Dad's knees were bad from years of moving furniture and his legs would swell. Dad even had to wear special blood pressure socks. It hurt him a lot and he would wince in pain, but he mopped the floors anyways, humming along to the sound of the Oak Ridge Boys. And that <laughs> is the big O. Thank you for listening. That's a hard story to read. There's a lot of different voices. So I hope I did it justice. So we're almost done here. I'm going to read one more really quick story. And uh, I just wanted to thank everyone for watching. Rosalie, like I said, Christine Justice is here. Witchy woman. Thank you all for watching. We're going to end in about five minutes. Um, I went back and forth about whether I should read this one. I might cry, but I'm going to do it. So this is one of the epilogues. And this is after... Um, I've dropped out of high school. So really the book is a story about how does this gifted girl 
go from straight A student to punk rock high school dropout, and then what happens after, right? It's really about realizing that no one is their last, their worst act. Everyone is has the power of redemption. And the book is really about showing that. So this story, I'm in junior college. Um, I dropped out of high school. I'm waitressing, and you'll see where I am. And I've never read this story live. And it's called Trailer Park Days, D-A-Z-E. <sighs> Waking up, I stretch and I cover my ears. Mom and dad are up and already arguing. I moved back home with them into their trailer last week. First, my car blew up. Then Adrian and I broke up. Then I lost my waitressing job. My boss's blonde head had always hated me. She just needed an excuse to fire me, and I had called in sick. Now, all I had left was my bagel job three days a week where I had to work, wake up at 5 a.m. to make six bucks an hour. There's also my junior college career. I was just appointed the editor-in-chief of the Mountaineer, Mount Sachs newspaper. It's one of the few good things happening to me right now. Most days, I feel like I will never get out of junior college hell. In 20 years, I'll probably be 40, still living in my parents' trailer, trying to pass my math class. I dropped algebra too again. I effing hate math. There is something about numbers that give me a headache. I transpose them. I like words paragraphs, layout, and stories. My dad yells from the kitchen, Jenny, I made you some fried bologna and eggs. The trailer park my parents live in is in Pomona on Mission Boulevard in the worst part of town. I never thought I would live in a trailer, much less back with my mom and dad but I didn't have any other options after I lost my apartment. After not being able to make my rent, I came home, tail between my legs, back to broke down crazy town. When I had moved out of my parents' house, I said I would never go back. Yet, here I lay on a twin bed in a trailer with a tapestry of dogs playing poker staring at me. Jenny, your eggs are getting cold, Dad says, his head peeking through the door. He's already dressed, wearing his blue Wrangler jeans with his big John belt buckle and his cowboy shirt. At least he left off the bolo tie. I get up reluctantly. I could sleep all day. It is only seven in the morning. Finally up, my mom says as I walk into the kitchen. She has her usual cup of coffee in her hand. She is probably on her fifth cup. Yeah, mom, I have class at 10. I look at her with my leave me alone face. Mom mutters to herself as she walks out of the room and I hear the front door slam. I have a newspaper story to get out today. My favorite part about being a journalist is bringing the tape recorder and interviewing someone. I can't help it. I love it. I have my mom's short attention span, so I use a tape recorder, and I, I write it down, and my focus only kicks in when my hands are moving. 
I rush into the shower. The bathroom is filthy. Actually, the entire entire trailer is dirty with shit everywhere, and the whole place reeks of cigarette smoke. Even my books smell like smoke. I am taking a Shakespeare class, and the moment I walk into the classroom, people wrinkle their noses from the overwhelming stench of Dad's Kent cigarettes on my clothes. I get dressed, t-shirt, jeans, no makeup. I put on a beanie so I don't have to wash my hair, which smells like smoke too. Dad, are you ready to take me? I yell out the bathroom door. Let me finish this game, my dad yells back. Dad's playing his Yahtzee computer handheld. He plays the game all day. Mom got it for him to keep him from going to the casino and losing all their rent money. I guess the game's better than nothing. The Talking Heads song, Once in a Lifetime, floats into my mind. I take a deep breath, in and out. I walk outside, and I look at the rows and rows of rectangular box trailers. This trailer park is so depressing. Nothing like the house when we were little. Back then, me and my sisters each had our own room and a swimming pool. My parents lost their nice house along with my dad's bar when I was in high school. I wanted to attend Claremont McKenna, but I made my proverbial bed when I dropped out of high school senior year, five units short of a diploma. So yes, just call me. Class of 1989, high school dropout loser. I open the door to my dad's Beretta and place my backpack in the middle of the seat on top of his Reader's Digest and TV guides. Those magazines are everywhere. His car's ashtray is overflowing, so I dump it in the trash outside. Dad walks outside and lights up another cigarette as he gets in the car. There is no use complaining about him smoking. I'm just lucky I don't got to take the bus. Dad turns on the country station, as usual, and Johnny Cash's I Walk the Line wafts through the air. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. As Dad pulls away from the trailer, I open up my Shakespeare book and I start reading. I am transported into As You Like It. And some days I feel like Rosalind, always pretending to be someone else. After a while, my head spins. I stop reading, carsick. Proud of you, Jenny, for going to school and all that work on the paper. My dad says it with a smile and his signature wink. I know it's not easy, he says. I smile back at him. I wipe tears from my eyes and roll down my window to breathe in the wind. Years later, while on hospice care, and as he lay dying from pancreatic cancer, dad would tell me once again, Jenny, I'm so proud of you. But then he would add, take care of your mom. She loves you girls so very much. So I do. And that's all. And that's us. That's us growing up. 
That's the story. You got to buy the whole book if you want to get all the context. I want to thank everyone for watching tonight. I really appreciate all the comments. Whoever shares this, um, just tag me and I'm going to put everyone in a drawing for a signed copy um, of my book. I tried to think of a trivia question. I couldn't think of one. I should have done something music, but I just, I, you know, my husband made a comment that uh, my acknowledgements were so long. And I said, yes, I had so many people to thank. I mean, I have been writing this book for more than 10 years. So all my friends, I love you so much. Everyone that read my stories, everyone that workshopped, I am really eternally indebted to all of my writing family because um, it takes a village. It really does to do anything. And someone had the question, are signed copies available online? No, but you can um, message me and I can uh, send you one and you can just PayPal me or something. Uh, or you can email me at gemmance at yahoo.com. Oh my gosh, I see more people are watching. Okay, Liz Gonzalez, thank you for watching. Liz blurb my book. Liz uh, was a reader of my book as well as Francis. And uh, Liz got me in. Uh, got me to apply to Macondo. She's always been a, a great mentor of mine and a great supporter and a cheerleader of mine. Eric Ulagi is one of my good friends from high school. He used to dress like Adam Ant and we used to hang out in the punk rock square together. Uh, so, you know, all these people watching, it just makes me so happy. Thank you. Please buy my book. Um, like I said, you can buy it on Los Nietos Press. Or you can buy it on Amazon if you want to get my Amazon numbers up and you're not opposed to Amazon. I won't take any offense where you buy it. Barnes & Noble. I have a signing this Saturday. Barnes & Noble, Rancho Cucamonga. Okay. I'll be there 1 to 4 p.m. And my book party is open to the public. There'll be wine and cheese and, you know, some cake, some LaCroix and uh, some water. And we'll be all hanging out. It's just a little two-hour thing outside with masks. But uh, Rosalie made a comment. The entire book is wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Cindy said, you look beautiful tonight. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I worked hard. You know, I worked all day today. I actually had court till about three o'clock. And uh, so I came home and I didn't wear makeup to court because I didn't want to have to take off my face and redo it. So I wore no makeup to work today so I could do my makeup for this podcast. So finally... The other people I have to thank are my mom, Judy. I love you, mom. You are my shiro. I say it at the end of the book. It took me a decade to realize that you held our family together. Um, I also want to thank my sister, Jackie, my wonder twin, and my little sister, Annie, and then my friends, Tracy and Melinda, and my husband, and everyone who's in the book, because it's not always easy to be written about. And I always say, this is a memoir told with fiction techniques. These are all characters. It's just my perspective, my story. I tell true tales, but I also want everyone to know that it's just my perspective. There's many perspectives. So keep writing everyone. If anyone's interested in being on my podcast, I have my um, season two book through July. I'm going to have Katie Porter on, Tim Hatch, Romaine Washington next week. And, uh, Gina Frangello, who just wrote a great book called Blow the House Down, that was um, a bestseller. So I just, yes, exactly, Liz, creative nonfiction. Um, so I just want everyone to keep on watching my podcast. It'll probably be on only monthly because I'm doing everything myself. But please, thank you all for watching. Next week, 
the 19th, okay? A week from today at 7 p.m., Romaine Washington will be here live. I'm so honored to hear her read and I get to interview her. So other than that, I'm going to take off. I love you all. I hope to see you all this Saturday and on the 29th. And if anyone, um, you're always welcome to email me. If you want a signed copy, I can ship you one. I go to the post office almost every other day at this point. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a good night. And remember, if you share this, tag me and I will uh, put you in the drawing. Have a good night. Love you all.